Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome one and all to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Jay Phantom, former real estate agent now, living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Storybox Podcast. If you are a new listener or a returning listener, welcome. Uh, So thrilled that you're here today. My friends, this episode is going to be a lot of fun. I have Nick Stone on the Storybox today. Now, if you don't know who Nick is, he is the founder and CEO of Bluestone Lane, the fastest growing premium cafe brand in the United States with over 50 plus locations across nine markets Headquartered in New York City, Bluestone Lane has or is influenced by Australian independent coffee culture and is committed to providing elevated coffee and cafe experiences focused on human connection. Nick was a 2019 finalist in EY's uh, New York Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, Nick has been recognized as one of the world's young leaders of the future and has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Australian Financial Review, Forbes, GQ, Vogue, USA, among many, many others. Prior to founding Bluestone Lane, Nick spent 11 years in corporate finance and advisory in Australia, New York, and London after being after beginning his career as a professional AFL footballer with six seasons following selection in the 1999 AFL National Draft. Yes, there's a a wide-ranging conversation here, and I know you guys are going to get a lot from Nick's story, and especially with what he's doing at the moment with Bluestone Lane and all the advice that he can give to uh, young entrepreneurs wanting to start their own business, having no idea starting out really how to build a cafe. Now it's one of the largest and fastest-growing cafe brands in America, which um, which is hard to do. So it's a huge inspiration really to be able to to hear uh, Nick's story and and be able to share it with you all today. Um, So please, if you do get something from it, you know you've heard me say this a million times over already, but share it around to your friends and your family. Let them know about this one. It's uh, an absolute delight. And if you do um, happen to be in any of the areas that Bluestone Lane is, is around, some of them are New York, LA, San Francisco, DC, New Jersey, uh, Philly, 
um, Toronto, just a few, uh, then go and check it out. Go and experience it for yourself. Um, but you guys know what time it is, right? Okay, good. It is time to dive into the story box and hear the legendary story of Nick Stone. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jay. Um, thank you for your patience. I'm running behind for all the uh, listeners out there. It's a Friday afternoon. I've got my kids ready to jump into dinner and have fun, but uh, I'm thrilled to be here. So thanks for your interest. It's an absolute honor to have you here, man. Since you are an Australian, I would I have to say, um, being an Australian myself, I am quite proud to be able to interview someone that has made a huge difference in the world and especially in the hospitality realm of all places too because a lot of my friends are in the hospitality industry and uh, you have quite a resume I have to say but before we dive into how you got started and all this I usually have one question that I love asking people which is what does success look like to you? Well success to me really is I think reaching your potential and doing it the right way Having doing it with others and having and having a, a broader impact. And for me, I'm driven by improving every day, no matter what I do, and trying to fulfill my potential. And I talk a lot with our team that it's not about beating the competition. It's about reaching our potential as a company, as a as a brand. And uh, you know, I certainly love being part of teams. I'm not a terrific individual sportsman. I love being part of high-performing teams and challenging the norm and trying to stretch the limits. And I love celebrating success as a team, whether that's uh, personally uh, and being a, a husband and father, whether that's being a, a great friend and brother and son, uh, or, and certainly as it relates to sports teammates and, and then in business, um, which is very much like a teammate. Uh, I, I love the thrill of doing it with other people. So that, you know, it's hard for me to sort of uh, succinctly acknowledge or, or articulate why, but I, I love, I just love improving every day. And that really drives me. And, uh, that motivates me to, to try new things and be bold. Mm, I love that, man. Where, where did you come up with this? or your idea of success? Was it a gradual thing over time or was there a catalyst moment somewhere in your life? Yeah, I think I think that I've always been someone that's prided myself on, on work ethic and uh, being very caring of others and enjoying being a part of the process. I, I think that I really started to learn about how to how to push the limits and and to be a better leader and be a, a better colleague uh, was actually probably when I finished playing um, AFL football and uh, started playing locally back at my old school team and also when I transitioned into banking. Uh, I I just realised that I'd, I'd come out of this professional sporting uh, environment where I was always comparing my game versus someone else's and whether I was going to be be selected or not. And uh, there's just a lot of comparison. And then I think when I moved out and that childhood dream had finished and in, in my eyes, I hadn't realized um, all my dreams in that field. I just decided that I've got to focus on, on what I can control. Instead of playing it over in your mind, focus on what you can control 
lead with your work, lead with your work ethic, lead with your values. And you do enough things, you, you, you go to, you, you rock up on time or you, you, you do the late nights, you do a little bit extra. It's amazing how things start working for you. You lend a hand to someone, you ask how they're doing and if you can help. And that sort of open-minded uh, approach has certainly paid dividends in, in all the different avenues in life that, that have transpired since then, both professionally and personally. Mm. So how did, uh, how did you grow up, Nick? So what were your dreams, aspirations? Did you always want to be in the a- AFL? And did you grow up in Sydney, Australia? Or where did you grow up? I, I, I grew up in Melbourne and I did always want to play Australian rules football. My uncle played uh, professionally or in the VFL back then. And uh, I, I love sports. I, I love playing sport. I still do. So, um, you know, that was something that was a huge part of my life. Um, upbringing but uh you know i was always enamored by the the world and the ability to live and work overseas and explore all these different cultures and learn and uh that you know i have a real thirst for knowledge and just just diving into things and I've, i've got a lot of curiosity and i think that's where i became very interested in business because i had an uncle that was in uh, the finance world and he had had the opportunity to spend time working in different countries and different cities and uh, I, I thought that was fabulous and um, I just developed this real interest in how companies can grow and how businesses evolve and and then the ability to potentially work in new environments uh, was really intriguing so even when I was playing I was lucky enough fortunate enough to be drafted in 1999 um, I was in my last year of high school, year 12. Uh, I remained steadfast committed to my undergraduate degree because I knew even if I had a fantastic career, it's only going to be a very small chunk of your life and you need to get a lot of utility and fulfillment by doing other things. And uh, for me, that was making sure my university was taken care of so then I'd have these opportunities in in uh, the business field. And I went into uh, you know, corporate finance and that opened up a, a number of different opportunities and then you know really uh that that heading to new york and studying there and then working and as a consumer that was had this unfulfilled need i missed the australian coffee culture so much uh, i started working on this idea of, of trying to bring it to the states and uh i'd never worked a day in hospitality it's my first hospitality job probably first and last i'd say <laughs> but, uh, but uh you know it's been a, it's an incredible journey and uh you know, it, I've learned so much about people, about teams, about business by you know, being a founder of, of uh, a business, but also in hospitality where it's so human capital intensive. It's not just making a widget. It's not just building a platform. It's working with, in, in the case of pre-COVID for us, 750 individuals and trying to get them aligned into delivering a premium proposition. Uh, we're not we're not just a, your average coffee and your average service. We we we've staked a claim that we're we're the best in New York City. We're the best in the states. The best boutique at scale operation. So that comes with a lot of challenges, but an incredible amount of reward when you see it working well and you get that validation. That's what one of the most incredible things about retail is the validation that you can get in in such a tangible way. Someone comes up to you and says, "I love your coffee." Oh, I had a great. Avocado's toast or Avo Smash or I love that time where I went to that, that venue and I caught up with a friend. That, that feels pretty good. 
And uh, so that that offsets sometimes the, the very challenging days. Oh, I, I can imagine, man. So you were actually playing for the NFL, AFL for six seasons. Were you also running your own business or working in finance during that time? No, I was just at university. So I was studying, uh, it was three years full-time, so six years part-time. So I did uni um, the whole way through. When I finished my last season, I was lucky to finish my uh, degree and, uh, and gra- oh, I was about to graduate and I was able to get an internship at uh, an investment bank. And then that sort of steamrolled into a graduate program. And yeah, I think I was just so committed to, to not dropping my study. And, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm proud that I hung in there. And even when, you know, you got a lot going on as a young person, you, you got to remember like the, and in Australian rules football, you, you go from being at high school to suddenly in a professional environment. Like when I got drafted, I didn't have my license. Mm. I didn't have a car. And, you know, I, I'd only done completed two of my uh, year 12 exams. I had another five to go and I was training at football. So it's a big step up and it's very different from the college system in the US where it's very much a feeder and grooming system. You go to college, you play there for four years, then you go pro. So we're, we're in, in Australia, you go pro, you know, at 17, 18. And um, so I, for me, I'm just glad I persisted. I did get a lot of enjoyment. I think it was, it was terrific for me because I did – you know, I, I had a lot of challenges in the AFL because, uh, you know, I, I would, I, I lost a lot of confidence and, uh, in my ability to play and compete, which was really looking back at now, really, really strange and frustrating to me that I just didn't go out there and enjoy it and play naturally. But, you know, it's all part of the, the lesson of life and I wouldn't be here unless I went through that experience. And, uh, had some had some high moments, but yeah, had plenty of uh, disappointments. But you know, it's all part of the the tapestry of life, as they say. Oh, one hundred percent, man. Did you always think that you were going to play longer in in the AFL, or was there something more that you wanted? And AFL was just sort of like a little bit part of your life, so to speak. Yeah, I I, I thought I I never actually really thought how long I'd play. I just knew that even if I was a fantastic player. I I could play 10 seasons mm. and I would still be finished at 27, 28. <laughs> and I didn't think 27, 28 was that old mm. know, considering like uh, my, my grandparents were you know, in the nineties. So wow. I just knew that there was so much more to life out there. And I had a very global perspective. I, I wasn't ever going to be satisfied just playing footy and mm. hanging out in Melbourne. I, I just knew that there was so much to explore and I love, I just, I love learning new things, whether it's culture, arts, business, history, what technology, whatever. I, I just like learning and grooming, and I just knew that there's there's going to be multiple chapters in my life, and professional sports going to be one, but it's just going to be one chapter. It's not going to define me as a person. It's not going to define my identity. It is going to be my childhood dream, and uh, I, I really did transition out of it pretty well. I, I think also because I really wasn't, I didn't enjoy the majority of the time I was playing professional sport, which would be perplexing to a lot of people. And like, wow, you childhood dream, you're playing professional sport. Like, why don't you love every moment? Well, at the time it, it didn't seem like it was a, a childhood dream. It seemed like it was something that was, that, that I wasn't ready for and that I didn't have necessarily the support. And, uh, 
I'm not talking about someone neglecting me. There's, that wasn't the case, but everyone needs a lot of support and encouragement in that environment. You go from probably getting a lot of support when you're younger, cause you're a, you're a good player or a star player, what have you. And then you, and then you go in this environment where you're just like one of 45 and you're not the star. You're just, mm. you know, you're the average or you're, you know, on the weaker end. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it, it, you got to do a lot of learning very quickly because there are extraordinary amount of challenges and you need a lot of resilience. And the best thing about professional sport or any sport full stop is the way you can then interact with others from different backgrounds that assimilation towards one common goal. doesn't matter your, your race, religion, you know, demographic, income, education, sports are great equaliser. I love it about, I love that. Uh, it democratizes the way people get along. And then I think, you know, secondly, those transferable skills are so incredibly important, whatever. And if you use them effectively, you could have multiple careers outside of sport that are, that bring you as much in, enjoyment. And, and also those skills to help you be a better person and, and hopefully better partner or, mm. or um, parent or friend. Mm. Yeah. Did you find that those skills that, and the study that you did at university, did you find that helped you when you started running your own business? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I think it, it acted as such an incredible platform to enable me to be my best. And uh, you learn a lot. I, I, I have this saying that like, you learn much more when the ball's not bouncing your way, when it's muddy and it's wet oh, yeah. and it's tough. When you're in then the trenches. when everything's when you're on the end of it and everything's going well and you know you're thrashing a weak team, mm. and I think that um, that adversity that I experienced, and and the adversity is is really not living up to what I thought was my potential and not really ever really believing in myself that I could make it, which which was is you know I just wasn't able to put it all together, even though parts of me were. were an absolute star you know i play at the lower level and be an absolute star and i come up to the top level and i'd i'd always have this mental breakdown it was extraordinary you know forget how to kick the ball forget how to mark mm. it just it was just um that, that this like sticker shock it was extraordinary and uh but you know you you do a lot of i did a, i still do a lot of um i still think about um afl and and why didn't why didn't it work out as well and it fuels me to this day, but, but I do appreciate the fact that if I hadn't, if I kept assisting with it, or if I'd remained in the system longer, then I wouldn't have had all these unbelievable opportunities in, in other areas with my personally and professionally. I wouldn't probably be with my wife. Um, I wouldn't, everything's like circumstances and you got to make the most of it. And, there's lots of way to reinvent yourself and there's lots of way to get enjoyment in life. It doesn't have to be linked to one thing. And, uh, you know, if anything, hopefully I'm, I'm somewhat of a little example to those that maybe have had one door closed, but there are lots of others that are ready to open. You just got to be courageous enough to talk to people and be prepared to make the sacrifice and dedication. And for me, I realized in banking that I was going to have an unbelievable work ethic and I was going to be so interested and such a good listener to what our clients wanted and really, really focus on 
the value proposition and the value I could provide to them. Not walk in there with a logo and tell them how great we are, but really dive into their business to create value and lead with the work. Lead with the work product. Don't just have have something deep down. Be prepared and, and ready. And uh, that certainly helped me a lot. And all that preparation and all those skills and experiences and crazy meetings and uh, and those late nights in banking certainly um, acted in a, a very powerful way to support Blue Stone and then the entrepreneurial journey, which is very um, very volatile and can be quite lonely. Mm. And it's a journey. It's a process. You, you're never on solid ground, but that's the thrill of it. And, uh, you know, the other analogy is, you know, in, in, it's like a Formula One car, right? You got to be, if you're not borderline out of control, you won't win the race. You just got to make sure you don't crash. And that and that's pretty much sums up uh, as a life of, of high growth companies when they're uh, acting a bit of an unorthodox way and, and push the push the limits and that's what we've been trying to do at bluestone and yeah mm. we've we certainly ran into a big headwind with COVID. that's for sure the once in a hundred year pandemic yeah I, I can imagine man but i think what you've been able to build over the years is pretty admirable and i can relate to your work ethic a bit because i grew up in a family where my parents they didn't have a lot of money we grew up in a lower class sort of family in in western sydney australia and um Basically, I, I just saw my grandparents work hard. My grandfather used to have this saying, if you don't ask, you don't get. But then he also used to have this other saying, which is um, it's actually uh, a Greek philosopher. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he, used to, he used to say, I don't think it was a Greek philosopher. I'm probably getting it wrong. But he used to say, uh, don't put off for tomorrow what can be done today. And he used yeah. to say to me, hey, Jay, uh, if you're going to put things off for tomorrow, you're going to just be lazy in life. He said, nothing ever gets done if you're constantly re putting things off. He's like, if you have the time now, get it done, stop like trying to be lazy. And, and, uh, he also said to me as well, he's like, don't be afraid to ask people because if you don't ask, you don't get, you never know. And I carried that on into my schooling life. I carried it on into my, my work life and 100% man, like all the fails, that I've been through, I have another saying that I come up with that um, the best thing I've ever done in life is to persistently fail because then I consistently grew. And yeah. it's been one of my, one of my, I mean, I'm only 24 and I know I'm still growing, but I just want to say like for you, man, and everything that you're doing with Bluestone, everything that you have done in your life, it's quite an inspiration for a lot of people young and old to say, Hey, look, doesn't matter what age you are, you can do it. And here's why you can do it. You know, you've got all the the tools necessary to actually be able to achieve something great. So what's stopping you? And half the time it is actually us that stops ourselves. Um, but what I want to ask you now, Nick is, is why did you want to go into hospitality of all things? Why hospitality? <laughs> Well, I had this unfulfilled need. I realized for me to be my best in New York City, I needed to have my daily escape or twice daily escape. And I needed to walk into a place where they knew my name, my face, my order. It was premium coffee and healthy food. And it just felt special. There was this intangible connection. And when I surveyed the market, I and and more importantly, when I started to appreciate 
how successful Starbucks was. Because in Australia, we've got quite a closed myopic view on Starbucks that that they they introduced America to terrible espresso coffee and that they're everywhere and they're the biggest chain and there's more Starbucks than McDonald's. All, all's kind of true. But ignoring the fact that they created this monster company and they had such a profound impact on culture in the US, not just buying behavior, but culture, the way people use coffee to socialize or study or as that third place. And Schultz is a genius and pioneer from that perspective. But through all their success and growing to a $100 billion market cap, 40% of all coffee shops and cafes in America are Starbucks and they have 40,000 locations. I've just realized that there's this niche to offer something that's more aligned to Australian cafe culture. Not, you know, and it's important to note that Australia is an independent market. Starbucks failed in Australia. And mm. a lot of the big chains, Costa, Duncan, Starbucks, and they, they, they didn't make it in Australia. It's too premium. It's too uh, experiential. And it's too, it's too independent. And the owner-operator model um, can create and drive such incredible performance and experience because they're, it's their baby and they know everyone and they, they put their blood, sweat and tears into it. And so I started researching and realized that, that, that there's a good opportunity to scale it. It doesn't need that much capital intensity and there's, it's an addictive product. It's got high gross margins. Uh, yeah, there's a captive audience. Well, pre-COVID, there's a very captive audience where you put one in an office building and, serve. and, there's a, and it can be a real amenity to a real estate. Um, platform or building so i thought there's, there's opportunities to subsidize rent and i just thought that these younger demographics looking for healthier alternatives they're very much focused on wellness they're focused on um new things and uh that's that's what honestly inspired it and uh i just started to focus on building a brand i realized i don't want to have one or two coffee shops i want to build a brand i want to build a representation a true representation of australian and australia and new zealand cafe culture mm. And I uh, dedicated myself to that brand and to build a brand. Uh, as we know, it's just an intangible feeling, right? It's, it's, there's no, what's the difference between a Hermes and a, and a paper bag, right? They're both functional, both carry things. Mm. One's worth 15 grand and one's, you know, worth a cent. But it's the brand. It's, it's, it's the way people feel. It's an emotional connection. And I just realized for us, like, we have to create those connections. We're going to connect and we're going to create it through service. It's not going to be product-led. We're going to have fantastic product fantastic tasting coffee and quality healthy food, but it's got to be led through service. It's got to make people feel good and they've got to be addicted to walking in and feeling like a local, not a customer. So all of my focus was on, there's no customers, only local. And why is being a local so important? Because it's reciprocal. Yeah. Because if I know your name and recognize your face, I'd say 99% of the time you're going to ask me what my name is. And then yeah. it's only from that sort of breaking the ice that you develop that chemistry and then through routine and repeat, you develop a, a deeper rapport and that drives incredible uh, customer loyalty or local loyalty as it relates to Bluestone. So it's, it, it's complicated, but, you know, I just thought there was an opportunity. I thought there was a real need. People want to feel happy and feel good. They need an escape. I needed one. I knew there were lots of people like me. and. Um, in New York city working so hard and, and, you know, not having that break where they, they need, I missed it so much from home. And uh, I just saw that the there was an evolution going that way. And hence worked on the business idea, spent a lot of time, a lot of research, became a student of the, of the industry. And then 
finally pulled the trigger in mid 2013 on a tiny subterranean basement uh, coffee shop with no street visibility, no signage. There's no way you could possibly find it, but that was the beauty of it. The only way you could find it is through word of mouth and someone taking you there. And that's how it began. And now you've got over 50 locations across nine markets or has that increased? Yeah, nine markets, yeah. Yeah. That, that is absolutely insane. New York, LA, San Francisco, DC, New Jersey, um, PA, what's that one? Philly, Philly, that's uh, Pennsylvania, yeah, Philly, Pennsylvania, and Toronto. Yeah. And uh, MA, what's that one? Ma- oh, Boston, Massachusetts. Wow, yeah. man, that is, that is insane. Yeah. It, yeah, like- forgot about that one. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's been aggressive, like particularly the last pre-COVID, we opened over 40 stores in three years. So that, that was off a base of 12. So that was a significant, you know, you talk about, yeah, we, we increased the store count by yeah, 400%. It's, 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 big. it's been, a, been a lot of effort. Yeah. Well, what would you say to somebody that wants to start his own cafe right now? I would say you don't waste this crisis. Don't waste this crisis. Observe who does well, what they do, the decisions they make, how they simplify and try and uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunities through, through any uh, recession, through any change in cycle, there'll be rejuvenation and get ready for it. Um, I, I would become a student. I think that there's always, it, you know, it's been incredibly hard in hospitality still is. And, and, and in the Northern hemisphere, it's only going to get harder with winter, but there are plenty of silver linings. And you don't want to waste it. There are mm. ways to learn and improve and there's technology and there's ways to work with people that, that can drive productivity and efficiency. And yeah, that would be my advice. Mm. And yeah. how about for somebody that is struggling throughout COVID right now? Well, this is probably a whole nother podcast, but ultimately <laughs> like I think you, you need to simplify. You need to look at how technology can help you drive efficiencies. And you need to be more aggressive with cost management than you've ever, ever even considered. Mm. And you need to be, have that much austerity with how you manage your expenses. And you need to tell people to that landlord that you you meant to pay rent. You got to be upfront with him. If you can't pay rent, you can't pay rent. Mm. If you can't keep everybody or people have to go part-time and that's the decision you're going to make, that's what you got to do. You got to find a way to survive. Now, if you think that there is literally no pathway, you got to cut early, and uh, you got to cut your losses, learn. And in this case, there should be some solace in the fact that it's not potentially your individual fault. You're talking about a bigger pandemic, a global pandemic, once in a hundred years, and you're a victim of circumstance—very unfortunate circumstance. But don't lose all hope. Don't lose all confidence. Appreciate that that's what's happened, and. Uh, have faith that there'd be people ready to back you again. Mm. I've got two more questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. This one, okay, I've only asked it to a couple of other people, but what would you say is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, I think that the worst piece of advice I've ever received is probably um, – like the, the whole notion of fail fast, fail frequently. And I, I think that that's a bit crazy. 
I think you want to try and stay alive as much as you can. And I think you want to, you want to be, uh, you, you want to treat it like you're not going to fail at all times. You know, I, I don't really subscribe to that notion. I think at times, yeah, you got to rapid prototype small things and see if they work and do AB testing. Yeah, no problems. But setting up a business and uh, thinking it's perfectly okay if it flames out, that's just nonsense. I think that's just a very, it's, it's isolated to maybe pockets of tech that, and uh, biotech that I don't think the rest of the world really works like that. I, I think the other one is just like taking advice from people who haven't done it before or um, that uh, haven't done the research. You just got to sort of be respectful, acknowledge what they're saying, but don't let it sink in. And because no one can really understand your circumstances, and particularly someone who hasn't been in a similar industry or, or been an operator or been an entrepreneur, because it's very easy from the outside, right? It's very easy to tell an entrepreneur what to do. And most of those people have never done it before. Oh, well, they wouldn't know. Yes, <laughs> most definitely. But do, it, do it respectfully, not, not in a rude way. No. But just, just acknowledge that um, maybe they don't really understand fully and mm. maybe they also um, couldn't do what you could do, even mm. if you're not doing it as optimally as they perceive you could in their, in their eyes. Well, that's good advice, man. Good advice from bad advice. <laughs> I love how that works. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My final question for you, Nick, I really enjoyed yeah. this conversation. So thank you so much for making the time. Sure. Um, sure. You've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic, but they just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say in the show about your life? I, I I think the most important thing would be that that it, it talks about Nick. Nick's a good person. He cares. He helped me. He uh, was supportive, and uh, he made a difference to my, his family and others around him. He, and I think that that's what the legacy that that I'd want. And I think that. There's nothing better than than feeling like you contribute to a, a family or a friendship group or a larger society. I think that impact's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, and, you know, and hopefully a lot of people said he had fun along the way and uh, got the best out of himself. And oh. as I said, hopefully reached my potential, whatever that is. But I know one thing about potential is you need to be improving every day, and yeah. that's how life works. And uh, Improving as a person, improving as a as a teammate, improving as a in my case a leader. I feel like that is a um, a perfect way to sort of end our conversation. Nick Stone, thank you so much for everything that you have achieved over the years, the inspiration that you are, and for giving back. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you and learn more about you? Sure, LinkedIn's the best. I'm not big on social media, but LinkedIn, you'll find me, uh, Nicholas Stone, Blue Stone Lane. Uh, that's the best one. And uh, I reply to my messages there. So uh, yeah. And obviously Bluestone Lane, you can find at bluestonelane.com, Bluestone Lane on Instagram. Uh, they're, the, they're the best ways to reach there. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on the Storybox podcast and sharing a little bit about your story. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great weekend. I don't like this part because it means that sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. 
It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time.